Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Capan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Alexandra Hidalgo is an award-winning Venezuelan filmmaker, writer, theorist, memoirist, and editor whose documentaries have been official selections for film festivals in 15 countries and have been screened at universities around the United States. She's the recipient of the inaugural Carol Joyce Award for Excellence in Documentary Storytelling from From the Heart Productions. Her videos and writing have been featured on The Hollywood Reporter, IndieWire, NPR, The Criterion Collection, and Women and Hollywood. She has a Ph.D. in English from Purdue University and an MFA in Creative Writing and is Associate Professor of Writing, Rhetoric, and American Cultures and Co-Director of the Doc Lab at Michigan State University. Her video book, Camera Rhetorica, a Feminist Filming Methodology for Rhetoric and Composition, received the 2018 Computers and Composition Distinguished Book Award. Her academic video essays have been published in Enculturation, Kairos, Present Tense, and Patho, among others. Patho is what I meant to say. Her video essay, Motherhood on the Screen, received the 2020 Kairos Best Web, Te- Best Web Text Award. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the digital publication Agnes Films, supporting women and feminist filmmakers, and of the peer-reviewed journal Constellations, a cultural rhetoric publishing space. Alexandra is also the co-editor of the book, Extraordinary Filmmakers, How to Make Films Against All Odds. And Carol, I understand Alexandra won an award for her brilliant film, A Family of Stories. Yes, Claire. Alexandra is a brilliant filmmaker, and we're so happy to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we have a lot to cover today. I want to talk about uh, the new book, Extraordinary Filmmakers, and how that book has donated its all total income to the Documentary Emergency Fund. And we want to learn more from you on editing and story structure for documentaries from your work on your brilliant film, A Family of Stories, and uh, then get into the new book you're writing. And one of the things we really want to know is how do you structure your time to teach, (laughs) write a new book, uh, handle the essays, handle the work at school, and raise two children? This is really (laughs) a lot to do. 
So let's start with the new book, Extraordinary Filmmakers Against All Odds. How did you become the co-editor? So what happened, Carol, is that you have, um, you know, for your sponsored filmmakers, you have a little listserv. And I remember it was during the middle of the pandemic and at the very beginning, not even during the middle, at the very beginning of the pandemic, and I did, I had two little children at home. Uh, my sons at the time were eight and five, and I felt so lost. It was it was really hard. Uh, everything was difficult. And you sent this email, and you were like, oh, we're thinking about writing a book about uh, filmmakers. It was pretty vague, and I thought, you know what? This could be something that will carry me and give me some direction in the moment of this, in the middle of this very confusing time as a human being. And I remember I wrote and I was like, oh my God, I'm totally interested. And then we had a call with you and what ended up becoming the authors of the book. And we just started trying to figure out what this could be, what it would look like what kind of stories uh, we would tell. And um, we did a writing exercise. I remember Cinda uh, Jackson led a, a wonderful, she did like a wonderful meditation, and then we all wrote beautiful things, and we read them. And I, it was a really important um, sort of experience for me to be able to find some direction um, and some hope and uh, make new creative connections with people during one of the most confusing times in my life, really, and anybody's <laughs> life who's alive right now. <laughs> right, right. Well, this is great because what happened, I'll tell everybody else, what happened is that Alexis said, uh, I'll help with the editing. Well, heretofore, for me, an editor was someone who might suggest uh uh, change in your work here or there, but you work as a developmental editor, and I've never had that help before, but it was extraordinary because um, Alexa would take what we had written and say, why don't you expand on this, or what does this mean? I'm not sure how that ever happened. Can you tell me more? These would be notes that she would give us, and it was absolutely wonderful, and it allowed us to realize that we were skipping over important issues and and are not explaining things enough because we've carried this knowledge for years. And as a result, I think that our book is a lot better with your input, and I sincerely thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, development. so I have an MFA in creative writing from Naropa University. Actually, I started teaching writing workshops in, in college. I went to Ohio University, so well, I don't know what I was, like 20 or something. I'm 45 right now, so for the last 25 years, I've been uh, on and off teaching writing workshop, and I do run, I'm the editor-in-chief of two publications, and especially for Agnes Films, uh, the filmmaking publication, I developmentally edit everything that we publish. And, yeah, the, the you know, you have the copy editing, which are, you know, the people who are like, oh, you know, this sentence doesn't quite make sense, let's switch it around, or 
let's put some commas here. Um, and then you have, and I'm not particularly good at that, by the way. <laughs> but then you have the developmental editing, which is my favorite thing in the world, which is you look at a piece um, and you try with all your heart to help the author tell the story they want to tell in the voice that is natural to them, but in a way that the target audience will be able to connect to it and relate to it. So yes, that often means explaining things that are second nature to the author, but the audience doesn't know anything about. Sometimes that means cutting out parts that you know the author thinks are spectacular, but uh, they don't go very well with what's happening or they don't have um, the same sort of thrill for others. Especially with memoir, that's something else to think about. You know, our own lives have a sort of charm and uh, uh, value because we've lived through them, but those stories don't always um, sort of connect to others in the same way because they haven't, they don't have the emotional connection. So how do you take what is very, you powerful to you and make it powerful to others. Um, so those are some of the, the things that you try to do with developmental editing, and it was a joy to work with all of these writers and help them tell their stories in a way that hopefully will connect with audiences. Oh, I'm sure they will. Uh, but this developmental editing is something wonderful. I'll share this with all of our listeners. I mean, it's if you're writing a script or a book or a TV show or whatever you're doing. I mean, this kind of help is invaluable. It really opens your eyes up. Uh, so thank you for that. And I really think there's a lot of value in telling personal stories, especially about indie filmmaking, because I think that the more we teach each other, the better we all become. It's, and especially when it's an experience. I think that I remember stories people tell me by doing the wrong thing and what they had to do to correct it more than I remember, these are your tips or here's some advice, mm -hmm. you know. So um, because truly all of us in this industry are storytellers, so we love to hear experiences mm -hmm. of other filmmakers because they really benefit us. Don't you think so? Yeah, I mean, I think there's – I teach filmmaking at Michigan State University, and I will be teaching filmmaking at the University of Pittsburgh where I'm starting a new position in the fall. And you can certainly teach people how to hold the camera and, you know, how to get better sound, and you can get into the intricacies of Premiere and – uh, filters and this and that um, and that's very important and it's vital I mean you need it you know at the end of the day if the thing doesn't look or sound good it it's going to be hard for it to have a good journey but to also inspire them to think about what is it about their own lives that they can explore in film or how to have the resilience that this business requires, oh, my God, at every level, doesn't matter how far up you are or how low down in the business you are at the beginning or 
towards the end of your career, this is a business that requires so much patience and you get to the bottom of the hill and you climb up and up and up and up. Um, I think stories are a vital way to do that. And because we're all filmmakers or all artists, um, we, as you said, connect to stories very, very well. So helping the the personal stories that the film, that the Extraordinary Filmmakers book has, yes, they give you some tips about how to um, make it in this industry, but they also couch them within these extremely compelling personal stories of people overcoming all sorts of hurdles in order to tell the stories that they want to tell. And I think that's vital for filmmakers to think about and carry with them as they navigate this increasingly uncertain, by the way, uh, and Netflix uh, sort of blowing up right now, you know, filmmaking um, territory that we're going through. Yes, this ever-changing territory. Well, um, the Extraordinary Filmmaker book uh, has 13 stories, and uh, I know that I I had to write on The Power of Your Mind because I love that. It's what I think is so important for filmmakers. But uh, uh, it was amazing how many filmmakers ended up with stories of a spiritual nature. Uh, Margarita Sweet, she her story was Answer Your Call, and it is about achieving your dream because she did that. She manifested a job in Los Angeles and then took a leap of faith and moved herself and her two teenage daughters to L.A. so that she could be a writer-producer. And she's done a marvelous job. Then Delaney Ellis, she won our grant for her film Battlefields to Farm Fields, and she shared how she made a promise to protect the farmland in the Ventura area. And she did just that with her films that supported sustainable farming, and she was encouraging PTSD vets to work in organic farming because they all needed to be outdoors. They didn't, they didn't like to be enclosed. And getting back to the dirt and the field and the air was so beneficial and healing for them. And then Roz Dauber, she wrote about the devastating loss of her home in California from a forest fire. Can you imagine going home? And there was nothing there. All of her video equipment, everything that she had was gone. And then she took a film job to go to Tibet and travel uh, with this Tibetan monk, and that changed her life forever. I think that's, that's a brilliant story. Then we have Juliana Love, and she's authored five books. So she wrote a chapter on how she found her feature film story in the cemetery at Gettysburg. I think that is wonderful. And she created this incredible sci-fi story with Confederate ghosts as compelling characters. And then you wrote about discovering who your departed father really was. And that was captivating to me. And you let us know about your father's visits to come to you and help you to tell this story. He gave you guidance on where to look and how to move from one spot or whenever you got stumped, he helped. So, And this A Family of Stories just keeps uncovering more stories inside stories. So you that 
is going to be released as a documentary soon. So, um, Claire, I know you saw a copy of the book. What did you think about it? Oh, Carol, yes. I very much enjoyed the book. And I really liked the chapter by Lynn Sachs, who created a magnificent film about her father that took her years to document and finish. And it's a very interesting story on how to handle long-term production as well. And all of the the stories that you just mentioned, um, I enjoyed those too. Um, But just a few more uh, to mention as well. Matthew Ward shared his director's vision in learning patience through perseverance. And this is a brilliant feature that he's still working on. He's given all of us great advice on how to stay the course in filmmaking, which we really need. And then I know Helen Hall from our interviews with her, a lovely woman. And for those who don't know, she's a music creator who found Tesla through her connection to vibrational music. And Helen is one of the world's most knowledgeable people on Tesla's inventions. I love her story exploring Nikola Tesla's unique understanding of the world through her film called Pictures of Infinity. And then I also know Brianne Bryce, Price as well from our interviews. And she's a natural-born healer. She shares her information called Quantum Creativity in an Infinite World. And she explains how wonderful it is that she can be more open about her spiritual gifts in today's world, which is very important. Uh, Plus, she shares guidance on how we can expand our own spiritual gifts. And then Richard Kaufman is an FTH board member at From the Heart and the son of a highly successful screenwriter, and he shares his story of being an apprentice to his father. And now he donates his brilliant writing skills to market and promote our nonprofit, From the Heart. And his chapter is called Solving the Second Act. And then, of course, Cinda Jackson. She shares how she became the artistic director for her own Hollywood theater. That's quite an accomplishment. And now, um, and she also shares how she wrote and directed and produced a children's play for her daughter, Eliza, that became a highly successful series of plays for children. And then Deanne Estelle Vicari. She shared her story of the opinion versus the call. And she became a very successful clothing designer, which was her vision from childhood. And then she took a class in filmmaking and not only loved that, but she excelled at it. And that took her to a second career of documentary filmmaking. That was empowering. And in fact, all of these stories are empowering. I loved them all. Oh, thank you, Claire. I totally agree with you because these stories are entertaining and educational. And, you know, just reading a story a week is empowering. So the uh, book is available on Amazon or from the Heart website. You go to the store and look for Extraordinary Filmmakers, and 100% of the purchase goes to the Documentary Emergency Fund. And if you want to know more about that, it's listed on the website from the heartproductions.com. 
it's for filmmakers who are documentarians who are struggling and need help with emergency things like phone or computer or car payment or something like that. And that uh, starts in September of 2022. So now... And Carol, if I may, I just want to add one more thing to this uh, that Uh you are sharing about this. Um, I think it's useful for our our listeners to know about your signing up for your newsletter. So if you happen to go to fromtheheartproductions.com website to look these things up and and get a copy of the book and so forth, um, while you're there, if you have not already signed up for the From the Heart newsletter, um, I highly recommend that because it'll keep you up to date on all of the, the happenings that are going on and uh, any new books that might come out in the future as well. Oh, thank you, Claire. Um, I really appreciate that because the newsletter, we work really hard in the newsletter. We bring you information on what's happening in the uh, entertainment world and all about grants and especially information on the four grants that we give. So, yes, please join our uh, mailing list and keep on top of everything. So now, Alexandra, I want you to talk about your documentary film, A Family of Stories, and tell us where you are in production, please. Uh, So first, let me just explain a little bit uh, what the the film is about. Uh, It is the story of my journey to uncover what became of my father, who um, vanished in the Venezuelan Amazon in 1983 when I was uh, six years old. And it ends up, in fact, looking at all the secrets I uncover about him, my family, and myself in the process. Um, So that is what the film is about. Can you guys hear me? Yes, and family secrets are so wonderful. I mean, we all know every family has secrets, and you, the way you (laughs) unfold these secrets and how you find them is so engaging. Yeah, it it was funny because uh, when we started working on this film, uh, my uh, fantastic and beloved Venezuelan editor, Christina Carrasco, and I, uh, we're working on, you know, we're trying to figure out how to tell this very complex story that invo- involves four generations and various countries. And um, and I was like, well, yeah, it's the story of, you know, what happened to him. And she's like, I don't know. That. Yeah, that story is interesting. But the the family itself is so rich and the things that my father pulled uh were were so fascinating and the reasons why he did what he did were was so were so complex that um we ended up intertwining the two stories of his disappearance with his life and how that has in fact how how that that has in turn affected my life and my children's lives so um that's the story and we are currently we're pretty much at a point where we have a very well-realized uh, fine cut. I am going to start, as I mentioned before, a new job at the University of Pittsburgh as the co-chair of English 
in the fall, and I'm going to spend, I don't know, I would say about six weeks sort of really fine-tuning this uh, fine call. I'm going to work with a voice coach and sort of the the writing of the narration is beautiful and the delivery of, I'm not a trained actor, the delivery of the narration, which I do, works pretty well, but it could work better. So um, I'm going to <laughs> work with an acting coach, and then we're going to record it uh, more professionally and so on. And then we're also reworking the music, and then we'll be sending it to potential co-productions in Europe. Um, so that's where well, we're I'm at. I'm sure you'll have good luck in Europe. Arches uh, in France and ZDF in Germany, and I'm sure that mm-hmm. – Scandinavian countries will love mm-hmm. it. You have a big market, definitely Spain, and that's a given, but the rest of the world, I think, will fall into place. I think Europe will love this film. I hope so. I think so. I, one of the things about uh, it's a very personal story. It's not a political story, right? So when we first started working on the film, we thought, well, Venezuela... Uh, which, as some of your listeners may know, has been undergoing quite a hell of a crisis for you know over two decades, is a topic. It's a you know it's a topic that's ripe for documentary filmmaking, and we tried to sort of address the disintegration of a country through this story, but it just didn't fit. I come from the Venezuelan aristocracy. Uh, my dad disappeared in 1983 before the current crisis began. We spent a lot of time trying to ter- tell, turn the story into what we thought funders would want, and it just didn't work. So eventually, um, I, you know, Christina and I just decided to know, to tell the story we wanted to tell, the best story we possibly could, and that that story would find a home. Um, but it is a personal documentary, and the U.S. tends to have a preference for issue-driven social justice documentaries. And even though I think, as a feminist, that the personal is political and that um, sort of coming to terms with, in a compassionate way with our own histories has its own, it's an issue, <laughs> and has its own, uh, adds great value to the experiences of viewers, it doesn't white match with what the U.S. deems to be um, the documentaries they like to fund at any rate. So we're um, thinking of these other markets that tend to be more open to personal storytelling in documentary. Right, in documentaries, right. Well, uh, you you must have had hundreds of hours of footage because you've gone back. This has been, what, 20 years that you've been working on this? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we started filming. Uh, we have 200 hours of footage. I um, Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Um, I started, I, I, you know, my dad disappeared when I was six, and I remember being about eight and telling my mom, I was like, I, I want to write a story about dad disappearing. And she was like, go ahead, write one. And I, I was like, no, no, I, I wanted to have hundreds of pages. And uh, my mom was like, yeah, I know. She was like, uh, you're eight. And, why? And, she, and I was like, I know, which is why I can't write it just yet. 
Um, but I wanted I, I wanted to be long, like a novel. And I did. I, I spent some time trying to write a novel about it, and it it was not a good novel. It, it's, I'm sure there's a good novel that could be written about this. I wasn't writing it. Um, but I've sort of been playing around with this story since I was eight years old, and I'm 45. So, um, And I've done endless amounts of research. I mean, I have, uh, I don't know, thousands and thousands of pages of, of, of research. You know, my father was a writer and my grandmother was a writer, so I've read all their books and really tried to make sense of it. But, um, yes, the, there's a lot of footage and there's a lot of, stories that could potentially end up in the film. So um, one of the great things about working with an editor and with a, uh, with a consulting editor, we ended up also working with Andrea Cignoli, who is a Chilean consulting editor. So the three of us, Christina, my editor, Andrea, and I have done the very complex work of taking four generations of uh, pretty exuberantly fascinating family and distilling it around the topics of the film, which uh, in fact deal with truth and lies and with uh, the ways in which we can heal our wounds if we come face to face with the unsavory uh, lies that uh, we and our family uh, have been telling because we are hiding something. So um, one of the things that I've learned a lot from working with the two of them is that, you know, just how do you really, really center a piece of work around a theme? And you end up deleting all sorts of things that are absolutely wonderful, but you're just going to have to tell them somewhere else because they don't work with the particular theme that you're working with. Right. Well, can you give us some tips on how you took mm-hmm. 200 hours of footage and and put it into what a 90-minute film? What uh, anything you can share with us? Yeah. So there's a, a few things that I can say. First, hire well, right? Like hire somebody that you love really you don't have to love them when you hire them but you must think that you could possibly love them when you work with them right um because as an editor if you're if you're a director and you don't feel comfortable with your editor and you're afraid of your editor or you think you're going to disappoint your editor or you don't trust your editor then you're not going to have a good film so you have to have an editor who's in your corner who um, you can have long philosophical conversations with and whom you trust. Um, And so Christina and I do a lot of like, we just philosophize on on what we're doing. And then she'll say, well, let's do this. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, fine, let's try it. Or I'll say, let's do this. And she's like, "Mm, are you sure? And then we try it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it has to be somebody that you can think with, that you feel comfortable with, and that is willing to play the give and take. So that's the first thing that I have to say. Um, The second thing, and this is really, really hard for personal documentaries because they're very emotional and they come with a lot of baggage. But at some point, it's going to be hard to do this at the beginning. 
But at some point in the process, you're going to have to figure out what I talked about. Like, what are you saying? What is your topic? And what is your theme? What are you saying? What is your stance, your premise, right, on this topic? And then you're going to have to, as much as it hurts, because you're going to end up deleting a bunch of stuff that you think is brilliant and important and meaningful, you're just going to have to tell a story that's around that. And one of the ways in which I've uh, managed to come to terms with all the things that I've caught is that I am doing another project. And a lot of the things that I've caught have to do with my grandmother, who was a completely fascinating woman who was a writer, and she had six husbands, and she was beautiful and fantastic, and she lived everywhere. She was also a really complicated person. Um, and she kept on sort of taking over our film because she's so fascinating. Um, and I just had to say, you know what, she gets her own project. So I'm not making a film about her. I'm making a video book, an academic thing. But so sometimes I think that's what has to happen. Like in order to cut the things that you love, you have to say, I, I these things will see the light of day somewhere else. So that's what right. happens. And then the, the third thing is feedback. Um, we run uh, these, I run feedback screen, I don't know how many I've done, maybe 10, 12 for this film, maybe more. Um, and I have people watch the film. It used to be in person. Now it's not in person because COVID. But whether it's in person or online, you have people watch it. You have them fill out a questionnaire in writing. And then you have a Zoom where they talk to each other. You ask them questions, things like, what is the film about? Did it catch you? Do you like the profession, the protagonist's journey? Why, why do you like it? Why not? You know, those kind of questions. Um, were there scenes that confused you? Were there parts that were boring? I have a whole, which uh, we can maybe put in the description, I have a whole piece that I did called Seeing Feedback as an Act of Love that goes through all of this. Um, I, it's, it's an online piece that I published with uh, MIA, um, a wonderful journal on feminist filmmaking. But, um, and what you do there is that you don't talk. You just write down what they're saying, and then you don't get defensive. This has nothing to do with you. Um, and then you just um, sit down later, and you really, really go through this is what's working, this is what's not working, this is what's confusing, this is what could be better. Um, and you sit with your editor, you identify patterns, and then you revise based on what they've said. That's how you get the best possible dra draft, and you can't get defensive about it. It's Even for a personal film, you can't say, oh, my God, they don't like my narration, or they don't like me. No, no, no. It, they don't like the version of me that's there, but that's not you. That's a version of you. So uh, back to the developmental editing and to um, the value of listening to others with an open heart and mind. Of course, you have to pick the smartest people and loveliest people you can find to do this. Don't invite any unkind humans. Or if you do once, never invite them again. Um <laughs> But that, those are the three. <laughs> well, they happen, right? They have sometimes appear. But those are the three um, 
suggestions that I have for people trying to tell the best possible stories that they can on the screen. Well, it sounds like you really value collaborating with your crew. Tell us about that. Oh, my God. Yes, because, again, especially for a personal film, you are so... you're completely imbricated. It's like you're in the mud of the story, right? Uh, and you're in the mud all the way to your neck. It's 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 you. <laughs> everything. It's you. It's true. Like you're like, oh, which one works? Which one doesn't? And and everything is so meaningful. Some of it is hurtful, or some of it you think is hilarious, but it really isn't. It's only hilarious to you. So you need your crew to sort of, and this is why you have to really trust them and listen to them and like them because they're the ones who are going and they have to like you and they also have to love your story. Your crew has to love your story. Don't hire people who don't love your story because if they don't love your story, you're not going to tell a good story. Um, But, you know, they're the ones who are going to sit with you and they're going to try to get you out of the mud. And eventually, by the way, if they've been – like Christina by now has been working on this for a long time, like four years. So she's like, I'm in the mud too. And it's true. Uh, <laughs> this is why we brought, well, because by then she also has emotional connections to have the things. Um, this is why right. we brought in Andrea, our consulting editor. And, uh, you know, she had fresh eyes and she was able to then really um, sort of look at it. And she was like, this is what you guys have done. That's amazing. And it's so amazing. And this is what you guys have done. That doesn't make any sense. And it really doesn't make sense. But this is what we could do. You know, like, so, I mean, I think the crew are, they're like, the if you get good crew members, they're like the perfect team because they're in the project with you, but they're also a certain level of, out, they have an outsideness to it that you don't. And uh, because they care about your project and they care about you, they're going to help you make the very best decisions you can make. Right. That's the key. And mm-hmm. the other thing I, I want to mention is that you better be sure you have enough money to pay your editor because yes. they, uh, you can't start and say, well, I, I have enough for two months or three months and we'll see what happens. No, because now that person has to take another job. They have to get uh, make income. So they go take a job that might take them eight or nine months to finish while uh, they're not going to remember your film. They've got to come back to your film. So you really need to budget it, raise the money, and then start editing is my suggestion. It's funny. So with us, you know, I'm, I, as you mentioned, as you guys saw on my very long bio, I'm a professor and I'm a mom and I'm a novelist and I'm a theorist and I write, you know, so I've been working on this film for a long time, but I haven't worked on the film uh, consistently because I can't, because eventually I have to, you know, get a book published or I have to work on this or I have to work on that. Um, so one of the things that I have found with Christina is that, yeah, she has done a million other jobs in between doing mine. And what has happened to us is that we'll, we will. We'll take six months off from the project. and But then when we come back, we are a little bit less in the mud because we're, we haven't <laughs> touched it. 
You know, like we haven't touched it and we're like, oh, wow. You know, because when you, and it's a luxury, by the way, to because I, you know, I, I don't, I have a salary. I have a lovely salary and I make a lovely living as a professor. So I don't have to pay bills with my filmmaking so I can take my time. I'm also not making a film that is, about a topic that needs to come out today, right? Because it happened in 1983. So um, the the ability to take one's time and to put a project down for a while, I have found to be very transformative and helpful in terms of coming back to it with fresh eyes. It does mean, of course, that, yes, I mean, um, I have to work around Christina's schedule, and because, you know, academia is fairly flexible in terms of when I do what, I actually, I end up sort of being like, oh, really, you have a month? Okay, I'll do whatever. I'll move everything around so that you and I can work <laughs> during that month, you know, because she's the one that her schedule is a lot less flexible than mine. Right. This is great. Well, um, I, now I, I know that uh, you're writing uh, a novel. So uh, tell, us, tell us about the novel, and how do you schedule time to make sure you write your novel? So it's funny. So I am part, and shout out, big shout out to the Girls Club, the Women in Hollywood Girls Club. I'm part of the Women in Hollywood Girls Club. Uh, it's open to filmmakers. Um, it's run, uh, organized by uh, Melissa Silverstein. Look it up. It's wonderful. Um, and um, we had a workshop with this uh, teacher and agent and lawyer, entertainment lawyer named Jim Arnoff. And I can't even remember what the workshop was on. It was, I haven't known, I don't know. Uh, oh, like how to like present yourself in the industry. I don't remember. But um, at the end of the workshop, he was like, I'm teaching a class on how to pitch TV shows um, that you guys can take this summer. And I was like, I'm an academic who's a documentary filmmaker, whatever. But I couldn't get that class of his out of my head. It was crazy. So I wrote to him and I said, hey, Jim, I'm an academic who's a documentary filmmaker. Could I possibly take your class? And he was like, uh, no. Why would you take my class? You're not. I was like, I'm not going to quit academia. I love academia. And he was like, well, then my class doesn't have much to offer to you. So that night I was dancing. I danced in my kitchen for a half hour every night just as a practice, like a happy, like work through emotions and creative stuff, practice and exercise. And then this story showed up, like this fully flashed story at that point for a TV show appeared in my head while I was dancing. Um and I wrote back to Jim the next day, and I was like, I have to take your class because I have to take your class because I now have this TV show that appeared in my head. Um, like, and, and so I don't know. I, his class was fantastic. I loved it. Um, but I started having, I spent about, I don't know, six weeks with this story sort of bouncing around in my head and me going, I can't, I'm a mother of two. I'm a tenured professor at a, like a research one university. I can't go off and, you know, become a showrunner. What am I thinking? Um, so eventually I met with a million fellow filmmakers from the Girls Club and from Jim's class and so on, and I ended up deciding that I, what I was going to do is that I was going to write a novel uh, with the um, sort of, you know, the 
inclination or you know the dream of it becoming adapted to a TV show that somebody else would adapt, not me. Um, so that's how the story came about, and it's basically a story about um, a Venezuelan. It's told from three perspectives. There's a Venezuelan American professor who this is funny uh, ends up getting offered a job at a very prestigious. Uh, English department at a university in Pittsburgh, a fictional university. And this happened, and then, I don't know, whatever, like nine months later, I was offered a job at a prestigious non-fictional university in Pittsburgh. So that's pretty funny in the English department, Venezuelan-American professor. But um, so it's it's told from her perspective. It's amazing, like you were picking it up, actually. I know. (laughs) It was nuts. Like, when they contacted me, you know, they uh, contacted me in the fall to invite me to apply for the job. I was like, oh, wow, okay, sure. I, you know, I'm writing this novel about this. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it's, isn't it? It's marvelous. Um, but, so, yeah, so there's, it's her perspective. She's, you know, a professor. She's, like, at the beginning of her career. Um, and then... She, there's her husband who is a uh, Broadway producer. He's not a producer, he's a writer. Uh, he's had, you know, a Tony for the thing. And then there's the mother, uh, her mother, his mother, uh, who is a Broadway star. Um, you know, she's got three Tonys and an Olivier and so on. And it's told from the perspective of the three of them. And she, I, I always hate it. I, I love my mother-in-law. We're really close. And I, I, it's, I hate it when like mother-in-laws are vilified in the media. So, um, she and her mother-in-law are best friends, and it's about their collaborations. They collaborate on things, but also oh, there's all sorts of love affairs and um, complications that delightful, happy complications that happen to these characters. But I was really looking at, if going back to like, what are the themes that. Uh, you know, project explores. I'm fascinated by just how difficult keeping relationships is if you really go to the vulnerable core of what it is to be close to someone, but also how those are the most rewarding things you'll ever do and you'll ever have. So it's that tension between the complications of love and creating things together, but also how vital that is to us and, and the, how that is the fabric that makes our lives. So that's the novel. Wow, that is brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, now, you, you talked about dancing. Um, it, this is really uh, great because I, I saw a film that was uh, shown in Cannes and it was about this lawyer, two lawyers. Mm-hmm. And how uh, they needed to relax. They had it was debates. They were uh, working in uh, debates, and they would have all the knowledge, but they'd get uptight before they got in front of the audience, and they relaxed by dancing in oh, the film. So fun. Yeah, I think it's called Contra. It's not in America yet, but it is such. It's a German film, and this and by this dancing, they just kind of shook loose all of that yep. tension and performed better. Is that what you get? So, uh, you know, you were asking me at the very beginning how I managed to juggle all the many, many um, sort of balls that I have in the air on a regular day, and I have four practices 
that allow me to do so. I um, do yoga every morning. I meditate for a half hour, and I go to the woods for a half hour. I walk in the woods, and then I dance in the evenings. And uh, they do different things, like, but they, they, the yoga is very just uh, sort of like physical and becoming stronger and so on and so forth. And if my kids are at home, I spend that time hanging out with them while I'm doing yoga. The meditation is half concentration, half, I learned this from you, Carol, sort of saying the things in the present that um, you want to see in your life that maybe are not there right now, but you say them as if they'd happened. So that, yes, it's amazing. It's the best thing ever. I love it. And you state your mission, what you're here in the world to do, and you say it with conviction and you visualize it. And, oh, my God, it's so great. So I do that. And then the woods and the dancing, they're both similar. It's like your your body's moving, you're doing something, you're somewhere beautiful if you're in the woods or you're listening to music that makes you happy and makes you move. And that's where I have all my ideas. Oh, my God. Like sometimes I just have to run back to the car and write everything down. Um, it's not – it's ideation. Like that's where like entire dial, like scenes will show up or – um, the, yeah, I mean, the dancing is interesting. I dance, I'm Venezuelan-American, right? So, like, uh, one night is Latin music and one night is American music. And uh, they do different things. Latin music is very, um, I don't know, it, it's, uh, it, it deals a lot with carnality and love. Um, and then the American music does other things, sometimes makes me cry. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. I I tell my students that it doesn't matter what the practice is, but they need to find some practice that allows them to move their bodies or to be very still, uh, like meditation does, away from all sorts of distractions. And that's when the creativity will appear for them. And it doesn't have to be my... I I like the practices I have. They're great. But it doesn't matter what it is, but they need to do something like that. Uh, in order to be focused and happy. And I count those, by the way, as part of my working hours because they are. That's when I have my best ideas. Like what is hardest to get than a whole novel that just shows up to you? Like that's you, you could work for a year and it would never appear, right? That's so right. I, that's, mm-hmm. that's something else that I want us to think about is don't think that those are extra things. That, that's part of your working hours. That's the thing that helps you function and and be happy and smart and fulfilled and kind. And so make make these priority. Thank you so much. That's oh, yeah. what you're saying, right? Yes. Priority. Yes. Don't let don't let like every once in a while like if I sometimes I, I won't dance the second time, I'll go on a second walk or something around our neighborhood, not in the woods anymore, because by then it's nighttime. But um, but I haven't missed a day of meditation or yoga in uh, 20, 21 years. You know, like I've never, I, you know, I maybe I was having a C-section, but I <laughs> meditated. <laughs> right. Oh, yes, this is so important. Well, um, I have to tell you that the woods, see, the trees, 
are mm-hmm. full of knowledge and information oh, yeah. and and they are healing. I think that's why they put uh, tuberculosis clinics in forest. And that's Absolutely. because people would go there to heal and the trees yes. were the healing thing. And we've forgotten that. That's been lost. But trees have knowledge and information to share with us. But you have to chill out and, and just be yeah. so relaxed. And and uh, the funny thing is that I wanted to see this film, Everything Everywhere, all at once, right? So mm-hmm. I um, I have another film buff that loves uh, Tarkovsky and all my uh, filmmakers. So I drove down. Tommy and I went down, and we picked her up and took her to this to the film to see this. And we walked in the theater, and they had just put down new carpets, so I couldn't stay. I had to leave. And uh, and it was a two-hour and 20-minute or so show. So I sat next to some palm trees and just Aww. created, you know, the and picked up their energy. And I have to tell you that it was like, no time at all, two hours passed. That's right. Just by relaxing around the trees and letting them um, energize me and and give me ideas and comfort me. It was fabulous. And, uh, and I, I highly recommend that you just pay more attention to trees in your neighborhood, right? Oh, God, yes. There's all these studies that show that people that, uh, live with trees around them, live like 10 years longer. I, don't quote me on how many years. I think it is 10. But it, it, we are meant, we are creatures of nature, and it doesn't take a lot of trees. You can, but having some yes. is incredibly healing. As a matter of fact, I, and I'm sitting here in my so-called office, which is in fact it's so fine, my living room, but uh, and I'm staring at our trees, and uh at some, I had actually. I have a my friend Caitlin Sprunk that um, she co-founded Agnes Films with me, and we have this thing where we watch the Oscars every year, and we get dressed up and whatever. And she spends she usually spends the night because you know the Oscars end late. And uh, I woke up, and of course I wake up late because I'm not a morning person. And I I woke up, and she was sitting on my sofa, which I thought great. I'll sit on my husband's chair, which doesn't look at the trees; it just looks at me. Oh, how romantic! And uh, I was trying to get work done, and I couldn't. I was like, I can't focus, and I realized it was because I didn't have my trees. I could, like, I couldn't. Yes. Like, if I'm not looking yes. at the trees, I can't focus. Um, so yes, I mean, I think at least for me, uh, one of the reasons it's not just going through the woods, but if like just looking at the the woods in the back of my house, as I try to create, is a huge. Um, it's my lifeline, my creative lifeline. Yes. I can't even focus yes. without them. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that because thank you for sharing that. I'm sure there are a lot of people that feel the same way but don't want to mention it to anyone because it does sound really weird. But it's But it wonderful. isn't. There's all sorts of studies. Like people should look it up. This is not um the you know, scientific, peer reviewed by world renowned, you know, scholars and so on and so forth. They've done the studies. We need the treatment. Yes. We need the trees. We certainly do. Yes. Oh, well, tell us how people can reach you, please, Alexandra. Um, I also, by the way, have a newsletter. Um, if you, you know, my website is alexandrahidalgo.com, so they can, you know, sign up there. Um, they can email me at alexandrahidalgo.gmail.com. 
I'm usually quite um, responsive. Please put I, – I get a lot of emails, so if they could, you know, say, I heard you, you know, or whatever, whatever it is, like it's hopefully um, the subject line <laughs> explains why it is that they're reaching out, and then I'll um, check it out. And um, I'm, I'm like – D underscore Alex Hidalgo at on Twitter and I'm D underscore Alex underscore Hidalgo on Instagram. So sadly they were not available, both of them the same thing. So now I get I'm stuck with two different <laughs> handles. <laughs> but Okay. Um, but yeah, I this mean, is great. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people. You know. Well I I love your newsletter. Uh, and I know when you took the class with Tom and I, and you created the the, the visual for the newsletter and started it, yes. uh, the stories, the information is so valuable. So I highly recommend it. So just give them the uh, the address again to go for the newsletter. Um, they if they if they Google Alexandra Hidalgo, the first thing that shows up is my website. But it's alexandrahidalgo.com. That's my website, and they can sign up there. Okay, good, um, perfect. But well, yeah, this is Claire so and I fun. want to. We want to follow you. We want to hear how you do with sales and distribution, and how Europe reacts to your film, and what happens in this long haul with your uh, book that you're writing, and uh, th- this whole new thing you're starting. Uh, it's going to be uh, so much fun. So we'll yeah. uh, maybe we can come back to you in six or eight months and find out what's going on. Oh my God, that would be fantastic! I'd love it. Yes. Okay. Yes, I would love it too. Very inspiring, all that you shared with us. Thank you so much. Thank this you. This is so fun. Thank you. It's an honor. Well, good. We, well, we thank you because you are such a talent, and you really helped all of us with the book. You were there to support me when I was losing my mind trying to figure out, <laughs> is this going to work? Should we do this? And yes, yes, let's, this is wonderful. And uh, now we have a book to be really proud of. Thank you so much yes. for your time and your support. And I just did want to say to everybody who's listening, this book is making the world better, not just with its stories, but by helping documentary filmmakers in need. So it's it's a win-win. You get wonderful stories, and then documentary filmmakers kept to, get to keep making their work, which is vital. It's vital, right. We have to support each other. Well, thank yep. you so much. Lots of good luck. Thank, Thank you, Claire. You. Oh, yes. Yes. All right. Well, I look forward to next time. And uh, thank you both as well. Very enjoyable show. Always uplifting. And I look forward to more. So be well, everyone. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Alexa. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thank you, guys. Okay. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without.
Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.